Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. So we are doing a series um, called When Jesus Met. And looking at the character of Jesus through the lens of different people that he met. And today I want to talk about someone called Thomas and look about when Jesus met him. And he's often known as Doubting Thomas. And I want to talk about questioning, which so many people in our culture have, don't we? We have so many questions. And we have a sort of anxiety about truth and whether there are answers to the questions that we have when we're alone in the dark. And to do that, I want to look at this passage from John. So it's John chapter 20. I think um, it should come up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles with you, turn to that, turn to your phones. Um, Let's read John chapter 20, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I shall see in his hands the mark of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And then Jesus came, so the doors were shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger, and behold my hands, and reach here with your hand, and thrust it into my side. And do not be faithless, but believing. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. So I grew up going to a brethren church. And I remember hearing this story about Thomas. And I didn't really know a lot about him, but I kind of didn't think that I really wanted to be like him. First of all, because his first name was Doubting, and that seemed a bit unfortunate. And secondly, because any time a grown-up talked about him, it was a bit like that uncle in prison that you don't talk about in your family. And then also, just, it was always talked about with so much shame, somehow, like this Doubting Thomas. And so the lesson was, like, don't be like Thomas. And then a few years ago, I heard a talk by a pastor in America called uh, Greg Thompson. And he mentioned this artist, um, Carl Heinrich Block. And he'd painted a picture of Doubting Thomas. And we're, I'm going to have it up on the screen. And this painting, it kind of portrayed all that I believed about Thomas. So I don't know how... Everyone, can everyone see that? Okay. It's kind of... It's tall and it's thin and it's dark. And at the bottom left of the painting, Thomas cowers on his knees and he's shielding his face with his hands and he's staring at the ground. And then above him, glowing and very white, um, is Jesus. And he's just, he's looking a bit peeved. And his robe is a bit loose at the top, like he's just gone to the doctors and kind of undone his robe. And he's just like, his fingers like pointing vaguely at his side. Um, and he doesn't, he doesn't look at the wound, and he doesn't look at Thomas. He's just like, let's, let's just get this over with. And um, standing behind him, cowering in the dark, uh, are three other disciples. And they're all looking at Jesus' face. No one's touching Jesus. No one's touching Thomas. No one's touching anyone. 
And the overwhelming thoughts of this painting are of indignation. And of all the people that I grew up hearing about in the Bible, I never really worried that I was like Goliath or like Judas, but I did worry that I might be like Thomas. I did fear that I might want things that I shouldn't want, that I might doubt things that I shouldn't doubt, that I might fear things that I shouldn't fear, that I might ask things that I shouldn't ask. And what I was going to meet was indignation and disapproval that you see in this painting. That's what I was afraid of. And I, I think that because of our cultural familiarity with this old account of Thomas, many believe that the church is not a place where you can come with your questions. And it's certainly not a place where you're going to get any answers. But after thinking about this passage for many years, and I think I've just slowly come to the conclusion that, that my account of Thomas and this painting's account of Thomas are completely wrong. Jesus isn't criticizing Thomas in this passage. He's answering him. And he's giving him an answer that this whole thing, which just has an air of indignation about it, was in, in fact, it was a text of invitation. And it was a text of answer for this man who had very serious questions. And I, I, so I just want to talk about two things. And the first thing is what I'm going to call the grief in our questions. It's a slightly strange way to phrase this because in the actual text, it doesn't look like it's a question. Um, it records it as a statement. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and unless I put my hand into his side, um, I will never believe, exclamation point. But the strength of this statement, it's allowed Thomas to be portrayed as a sort of sceptic and who refuses to believe in anything unless he's got a solid proof. But it doesn't really go with what we actually know about Thomas. So Thomas, he was a follower of Jesus um, in a world where lots of people weren't followers of Jesus. And he believed things about Jesus that lots of people didn't. And even at the crucifixion, Thomas stayed where other people had given up. And what we know about Thomas is that he believed Jesus and that he followed him. And, so, and then on the other hand, to actually think that statements that we know about doubt, really, they, they're not really about doubt. If you have doubts, which I'm guessing most people do. Anyone here have doubts or is it just me? Great. Um, most people, when they have doubts, at the heart of it, it's not a statement. It's usually a question. And it, it might sort of end with an exclamation point, but actually it ends with a question mark, really. And I think we miss the point if we kind of see it otherwise. So Thomas's doubt, um, I, I think I, I want to sort of understand this as a question, and it's about grief. It's a question of grief. And it's this question. Is it really possible to see life come out of all this death? Is it really possible that there's life in the midst of all this death that we all see. And so Thomas believed that we were made for life. He believed that God made us for himself, for other people, for the world, and for, us, for our own selves. And Thomas believed that we'd sinned and fallen into ruin. Thomas believed that Jesus Christ had come to restore life to the world. I mean, he'd seen it. So he'd seen the, the, the blind receive their sight. He'd seen food come to the hungry. He'd seen um, the dead raised. He was there when Lazarus was um, raised from the dead. And he believed. But then to his horror, he then saw Jesus die. 
And in that moment, the, the Thomas thought that the one who would actually come to bring life in the midst of death had actually been struck down by death in the midst of life. And I can't blame him for that. Nobody knew that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. Jesus kind of tried to explain it in loads of different ways. But nobody knew, nobody got it that, that he was going to come to life after being crucified. Jesus says that he, he, he kept trying to say it in the Bible, didn't he? I've, I've, I'm going to rise from the dead. But nobody believed it. And even after he rose, it says that people were sort of like hazed and confused. And of all the ways that they imagined that Jesus would bring life into all this death, they didn't believe that it was through a resurrection from the crucifixion. And so when Jesus, when the disciples said that Jesus was alive, Thomas said something strange. He didn't go, well, where is he? What does he look like? Um, he didn't say, did he ask about me? He didn't say, why would he show you guys and not me? I think probably that's probably what I would have said. Why did you get to see him and not me? But what did he say? He said, he, he talked about his scars and his wounds. He said, like, I have to see those. Those are what I have to see. I have to see those scars, those wounds. And if I can't see the scars, I can't believe. And I think why he said this was that Thomas was driven by grief. And he wants to know that there's actually life that comes out of death. Like he's, he's going, I want to see this. I have to see this. And there's pain that drives these questions. He knows that the only sure answer to the question, is there really life that comes out of death, is for him to see the scars on the living Christ. And the more I think about Thomas's words and identify with them, the more beautiful they seem. Because what they reveal about Thomas is that not that he didn't get it, but that he actually did get it. And not that he caved into a heart of doubt, but that he was clinging to the heart of belief that in the middle of a world of death, that what we need most is not a God that's distant, but a God who died and came to life. That's what we need. We need that now. And Thomas understood that, I think. A God that's felt the horror of death in a way that we can see and yet brings life to that place. He doesn't bypass it. He's not going to bypass death or overlook it. That was the place that Thomas needed to see. And so many people in our age are asking questions and they think what you and I do every day and what we believe is basically stupid. But actually, I think people are just profoundly hurting. There's so much grief in people's questions and in the contempt of the world that there's so much doubt that people had. Like, can life actually come out of all this death? And the second thing I want us to see here is it's not just the grief in our questions, but also the grace in his answer, the grace in Jesus' answer. And I want, to see, want you to see how Jesus answers the doubting. So Thomas comes and he says, can life really be found in the midst of death? Like, show me. Show me that life can be found in the midst of death. death. If I was Jesus, I don't know what you would have said at that point. But again, I'd have probably been like, hold up. One minute, I've just been through a crucifixion. You need to like tone your tone, tone your tone down a little bit. But he didn't say that, did he? He he. When when Jesus, when Thomas came to Jesus, can I really see life come out of all this death? You know what Jesus says? He just says, "Yes, of course you can." That's why I'm here, and I want you to see these things. And Jesus answers to Thomas. He was just so gracious, and I think this is really beautiful. First, in this word, yes, he says several things to Thomas. 
He just says, I've heard your cries. I've heard your cries. I've heard your very particular cries. And one of the most wonderful parts of this passage is it reveals the intimacy with which Jesus heard Thomas. If we, if we go back to verse 25, Thomas says four things. He says, I want to see his hands, place my finger into the mark, place my hands in his side, or I can't believe. He says, I want to see his hands, place my finger in the, in the mark, place my hand in his side, or, can't, or I can't believe. And these are the four things that Jesus says. And when Jesus comes, what's his response? In verse 27, he says, put your finger here, See my hands, put out your hands, place it in my side, do not disbelieve, but believe. And he answers each one of those clauses. See your hand, see my hands, put out your hands, place it in my side, don't disbelieve, but believe. And so there's just a really intimate way that Jesus hears Thomas. And again, I don't know why, but in my early walk with God, I kind of thought this was a bit of a slam down. Um, you know, Jesus coming to Thomas and going, yeah, I heard what you said. And I'm going to ask you point by point. But I, again, I just think that completely misses the grace of this. It's a very particular request that Thomas makes and a very particular answer that Jesus gives. And it's really kind and it's really intimate. Jesus isn't competing with Thomas. He's just answering him with grace. He's saying, I heard you, Thomas. I hear you. I hear your, your cries. You are my beloved. I hear your specific questions. Do you know how many of us and how many of our colleagues and friends just long to know that God hears them? And they're so afraid that they're going to offend God with their outrageous questions. But actually, just people need to know that God hears them. So Jesus says, I've heard you. And then the second thing, he says, not only that I've heard your cries, he says, I've borne your death. And in the verse that I've just read, Jesus asked Thomas to put his finger on his scars to see them and to reach out and touch them. Um, it, this is just a, a moment of real incredible intimacy. I don't know if many of you have scars, like actual physical scarring, or if you have a friend that has physical scars. But it, touching somebody's scars is quite intimate. You don't kind of go up to a random person and go, oh, can I touch your scar? You don't do that, do you? It's, that's, that would be very weird. And um, I, I think with Jesus as well, this wasn't like year-old scars. He's, this was like a fresh wound. And so Jesus says, I want you to touch my most vulnerable place. I, th th that phrase has just been like going through my head the last few weeks, that Jesus invites Thomas to touch his most vulnerable place. We'd, I just don't almost think of Jesus as being vulnerable. But Jesus asked Thomas to touch his most vulnerable place. And he says, I want to show you that I've borne the death that you fear. I want you to touch it. Now that painting that I showed you earlier, it just totally misses the point. But Jesus goes right to the heart of Thomas's questions. I've heard your cries. I've borne your death. And it took me, I think it took me a while to come to terms with this, to make this tr transition from seeing Thomas as somebody that I really don't want to be, as seeing him that actually it is somebody that I am. And actually, progressively, it's somebody that I actually want to be. I want to be that person that goes to Jesus with all my questions finds him completely faithful, and then bows down in adoring joy. 
And it's kind of this transition has taken me a little um, bit of time. But again, it was in this talk that I heard by Greg Johnson, Thompson. And he showed me another artist called uh, Caravaggio. And here's his picture. Um, and this is called The Incredulity of Thomas. This is like a total, this was a total revelation to me. Such a shift from what I thought this story was about to being more like this. So there are several figures, like the other, like the other painting. There's Jesus, there's Thomas, there's two other disciples. But Caravaggio's Thomas is standing, he's leaning forward, he's peering into Jesus' wounds. And Caravaggio's Jesus, still looking a bit white, to be honest, but he's leaning too. And looking into his wounds, as, as he's like with his own hand, he's guiding Thomas's finger into his deep scar. And the look on Jesus's face, it's not one of annoyance at all, is it? It's one of intimacy and vulnerability. And the other disciples representing each of us, they're following Jesus' gaze and Thomas's finger right deep into the wounds. And that's where we go. We go into the wounds of Jesus. It's unbelievable. Uh, and this painting, just in contrast to the other one, which had such an air of indignation, this one has such a text of invitation. And Jesus utters with incredible tenderness, I hear your questions, and my answer is myself. I'm giving you the grace of myself. And he just says, come to me and find your life. The answer is the answer of grace. Jesus invites us into his pain, into his life that we might be blessed when, when Thomas touches that wound, when he touches that scar, what does he feel? He doesn't feel coldness. He doesn't feel death. He feels life. You imagine he's touching blood, but it's warm. And actually, in the, in, in, there actually is life because of his resurrection in the middle of death. And Thomas, he's almost able to feel Jesus' pulse at that point. Can you imagine, like the rib, his rib cage will be moving, the breath coming in and out, and it's when Thomas feels life. And that's when he falls down and he says, my Lord and my God. And I just found it earlier. Apparently that's the first time anybody says that about Jesus. At that point, he just falls down and worships. My Lord and my God. Like you're the God that I actually wanted to come and bring life in the middle of death. And I didn't think anyone could do it, but you have. And I feel it. I literally feel it. I feel it moving on your ribs. So he says to Thomas, yes, I've brought life, your life, out of all this death. But in that moment, Jesus then looks over Thomas's shoulder and he speaks to us. And this is really important that we understand this because it's at this moment that Jesus is so gracious. Because he looks over Thomas's shoulder and he speaks about someone else. And he says, um, in verse 29, he says, have you believed, blessed are you who have believed because you've seen me. Then he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And who's he talking about at that point? Because everybody that's believed has seen him. And so what he's doing about at this point, he's talking to you and me. 
which I think is just amazing. Because everybody there would have already seen him. So he's not talking to them. He's kind of looking over Thomas's shoulder. And he's saying, I see your questions. He sees our questions. And he says, we're even more blessed than Thomas because we haven't actually got to touch Jesus. He says, you haven't seen the fullness right now. A bit like Paul says, you see through a glass darkly, but you're blessed too. And he says, you're not left out because you haven't touched his hand or haven't touched his side. It just feels incredibly pastoral of Jesus at this moment, doesn't it? He's, he's, he's thinking about those that are yet to come, that aren't going to have that opportunity to, to actually see him. And he wants you and me and our colleagues and our friends to know that in the midst of all our doubts and questions, that he has secured our life and that he can bring life out of death. It's like these words that... Uh, they're like a consolation. It's like I, I want to be looking over Thomas's shoulder and going, can I see too? I want to go, can I see? But we haven't been left out in that, and I love that. So Jesus is answering Thomas with himself. He's saying, you've got a lot of questions, and I want to invite you into me, and I want you to know that I hear you. I want you to know that I've suffered with and for you. I want you to know that I've secured your life. Oh, by the way, I want all of you to know that too. And that's the answer Jesus gives to the doubting. It's the answer of, him, of himself. And I know we all struggle with doubts. I know that we all have questions. I know that we all want to see more of Jesus than we do. How could we not? In, in life where our minds and our bodies are broken and children die and our friends leave us and our hopes fail us, our bodies die, how can we not cry out with Thomas and say, can I not see life in the middle of this death? Can I not see that too, please? We all do. We all of us do. We should do. And our colleagues and our friends do as well. And so we have to understand that there's grief in these questions. And um, If people are coming at you hard and coming at Christianity hard, you have to remember that what's driving that is usually pain. Our doubts are driven by grief. And if you're having doubts, I want you to be patient with yourself and compassionate with yourself because it probably means you're accessing something very deep and real. That Jesus hasn't come in all his fullness as he says he will. But we're all on this journey and it's okay to groan. I want you to be gentle with yourself. I want you to be gentle with your friends. Don't be defensive because it's not actually about you. Jesus always answers questions with grace. And that grace is himself. Our goal is not to have the best answers. Although I think we do have some pretty good answers. But it's not to have the best arguments. It's to bring people to Jesus' life. As Steve said, I'm... Over the last six months or so, I've been slightly obsessed with the Enneagram. And um, each type has a sort of different pattern of thinking and feeling and acting that, right, that sort of comes out of a deeper motivation. And the one that I have, um, seven for those of you that means anything to you, um, has trouble with pain. And um, I think all of us do, obviously. Um, but I think... I do all that I can to avoid pain. And I see the positive in situations. I reason myself out of everything. I see the good in, in, in everything. And I, I kind of want to fix everything and make everything okay. 
And slowly, I'm getting better. Steve might have a slightly different perspective. <laughs> but slowly, I'm getting better on allowing myself to feel the discomfort of pain and the discomfort of seeing things that I don't understand. The discomfort of sitting in the mystery and sitting in pain and, and coming to Jesus with that. Coming to Jesus with those questions rather than going, yeah, it's all fine, like I trust him. And that's all really, really good. But there's times where you just have to come to Jesus and go, this is what I'm feeling. This is my questions. This is my heart. This is the pain. And learning to sit with other people in that too. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're going through something and somebody has a nice, neat answer and a reason why it's going on. You just want to poke them in the eyes. You, you don't want that, do you? You don't want somebody to give you nice, neat answers for pain. You have to learn to sit with it. And like I say, I'm slowly improving. Steve's writing notes on that one. <laughs> um, and Jesus didn't do that to Thomas, did he? Jesus doesn't want to argue with you about your questions. He doesn't want you to argue with your friends. He doesn't want to shame you for your questions. This passage says that he wants to answer your questions with himself by inviting you into the pain and the beauty of his own life and to share that. And so the work before us with our friends and our colleagues and our families that in this age of endless questions that are really good questions is, is with the grace of Jesus and inviting people into his life. And I want to pray this morning that we'd understand the truth of this and just be totally honest with Jesus about our, our pain and with our questions. You see, I just, I love, I've had that, that photo on my phone just looking at Jesus' face. He invites us into the pain. And we're going to move into a time of communion here. And um, it's where we get to remember that he has faced death and brought life. That's what communion is about, where he died and he shed his blood so that we can have life and we can be invited into his life. So um, I'm going to ask the band to come up and the people that are stationed around. Here at this church, we, just, we have various different stations and what we ask you to do, we've even got a gluten-free option as well. So gluten-free option is going to be at the back. And um, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are really, really welcome to partake of this. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus, then just grab somebody near you and ask, how do I do that? And then you, can too, you too can take it. And you literally just want to take a bit of the bread, dip it in the juice, and just, again, use this time and pause and just remember what Jesus is, is, has done for you in his death, what he's accomplished um, through dying on the cross and through rising up to life again. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.